Late Night Live. Hot topics discussed daily from 11 p.m. onwards. Get involved by calling 0141-375-3434 or search Radio Ramadan 365. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Here we are back for another episode of Late Night Live. I'm your host, Nadeem Bharti, and I'm joined by my co-pilots, uh, Abdul Aziz and Naeem, uh, brother, brother, oh, uh, my brain, I've just had some brain freak, brother Niaz. <laughs> what yeah. are you giving me? What you I giving think me I'm going to delete Niaz? you, buddy. I'm going to delete you now. <laughs> Assalamualaikum, yeah. and hey, folks, welcome to the best place to listen. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're obviously putting something extra special in that uh, Ruoff sound that you're giving me. Um, <laughs> but here we go. Well, look, really looking forward to today's show, uh, as well as just a lineup of what's been going on in the day. Uh, we, Our show is really about coping with coronavirus in Pakistan. We've got two great guests lined up for you who are actually in Pakistan at the moment. And uh, presently at some point in the show, we're going to get them on. Abdulaziz, how have you been then today? How's your day been? Uh, alhamdulillah, it's been actually not a bad day. Um, my day normally starts doing the usual, do a bit of reading, what you can do. And then around about four, four o'clock-ish, I kind of get itchy feet. So, you know, you, you, I, I tend to jump on my bike and uh, go for a, a nice long cycle. So that's what I did today. Fantastic. How about you, Brother Niaz? I thought my name is Nadim. <laughs> I'm going to pull your legs all night. I'm just kidding. Well, um, it was another brilliant day, um, but I was crunching some numbers uh, as I was looking at the airline industry today. So it's, uh, it had um, hit the fan in a very uh, strategic way. Uh, over 12,000 people will be uh, laid off at British Airways. And then oh I was looking, uh, laid off at British Airways. And then oh I was looking God. at the debt uh, at Delta Airlines in America. So interesting times. Um, just to give you an idea, it's a difference. Here's a quick fact. In the UK market, Europe, uh, airlines are not forced to keep on flying. In fact, they're grounded. Whilst in America, America says you have to keep on flying, and that's how they're getting their aid, even though they're empty. They only have 5% of passengers traveling right now. Wow. Well, I suppose that's one way to socially distance, but uh, uh, wow. Um, it does seem to be a sort of thing in America where they're really keen on just opening up the economy. It seems they're much, much more worried about that than saving lives. Or is that, or is that just the way it comes across to me? Absolutely. Um, it, I, I wouldn't say this isn't a purposeful thing. Um, it's perhaps because it's such a vast country, key workers are traveling from one place to another, and the governments are using flights to get across get across um, important medicines uh, as well. So it's not just uh, being used by passengers. So there's some freight, but it's not enough capacity. I think there's some rationalization that needs to be made because um, there's a lot of carbon waste as well that's going on yeah. out there. Um, well, looking at some of the other stories, um, one of them, uh, one of the stories that caught my eye was Nicola Sturgeon urging Scots to wear face masks. 
for shopping and traveling. And this is all about the idea of a kind of phased opening up of Scotland and social spaces. Um, but she wants to keep social distancing. But at the same time, a way of trying to offset that is by wearing masks. And um, she said that she had a lot of sympathy with Sadiq Khan down in London, uh, the mayor of London, and she agreed with what he said. Um, yeah. Um, so she said that they would look at making masks mandatory as the lockdown restrictions are lifted. Um, I don't know what you guys think of that. but uh, Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it actually makes sense. I mean, um, yeah. what, what what harm could it, could it do by wearing it? If you know what I mean, what 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 weight is on your shoulders by doing it? Um, I mean, if anything, uh, you know, I I was wearing one when I came back uh, a few weeks ago, and and I've been a wee bit complacent, but I'm going to start again. But um, you just feel a wee bit weird, and you sometimes you kind of get you've got that kind of feeling that am I going over the top here? Because you feels everyone's looking at you because no one else is wearing one. But I think if they make if they make it mandatory, uh, I, I think I think at least people know that no one's kind of at least breathing on them or whatnot. But you know, there's masks and there's masks. So um, what are they going to dish these masks out? And are they going to be ones that are you know uh, compliant with with actually safeguarding y- yourself? So I mean, what kind of masks will it be as well? You know, and where do you get them? Well, well, actually, what they were saying was that the mask should be something fairly basic. So something like a scarf, a bandana, cloth, or a textile. She wasn't saying, actually, that she was asking the public to buy medical-grade face masks. And what she said was that although, yes, you can wear face masks, but mace masks, <laughs> face masks, but she did say it was important to stress, stress it. There's limitations to these and there's benefits. And, you know, the science is very different. I mean, I was talking to Brother Niaz there about, you know, there's all sorts of different types of face masks out there from your, yeah. uh, what is it, your N, what's it? N95. N95 masks, which I think cover the whole face and are fairly airtight. And then you've got your paper surgical masks, which actually most of the GPs are wearing, uh, which really aren't face tight at all. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You you can basically uh, look on eBay for these type of uh, rudimentary masks. So I think that those those are the ones that um, would be recommended. Uh, and you test them by putting on your face and then putting a match in front. If you can blow out the lit flame, it's it means it's not working. So anything can come in and out, you know, so it's use, useless. So, so I would say I'd take it a step further, get the right thing. Um, it, it doesn't have to be an N95. In fact, that's not being recommended because that's in demand uh, for the front line. Um, luckily, I already had something. So I look like uh, something from Apocalypse Now because I've got a high-level 3M mask that I had for DIY work. So it's a, a ventilator, respirator. Uh, plus, don't laugh, I wear uh, ski goggles so that, uh, you know, I'm fully covered when I go shopping or uh, decide to go out uh, coming even in small distance to other people. And I'll tell you why. why. I'll tell Mm -hmm. you why. So Reuters came up on how long coronavirus lasts whilst there was another article that MSN uh, had reported, and it's a new study examining air samples, and they showed that 
the CDC showed that um, there was uh, in the air 13 feet away um, coronavirus present. There's an air, also Reuters, um, also I can quote them, coronavirus was present uh, in the air uh, for up to, you know, a few hours, for example. So that's within enclosed areas. So I'd rather be overly cautious so I don't bring it back to myself, you know, uh, um, and, and take that risk. So, um, obviously, yeah. people who are in hospitals are at a higher risk of this. Um, and as I said, CDC, and this is the American uh, um, Health Authority, ha have said that it can be found, especially in hospital environments, um, up to 13 feet from patients who they surveyed. Well, I, I, uh, I think, you know, this is one of these subjects we could do a whole program about PP3 or personal protective equipment. And I'll tell you, what you're describing is probably more than probably half of the doctors in the in the front line are actually using at the moment. Um, and uh, a lot of the GPs are being told, you know, well, you know, um, uh, wear double surgical masks, which are the sort of paper masks that you get, and maybe a plastic visor. So, you know, um, it, it can be quite worrying uh, when you hear about some of the actual uh, science behind some of it. But... Um, uh, I must admit, I'm kind of a bit of me is looking forward to seeing some of the funky uh, face masks that might be coming out when when people yeah. are using that. Some of those bandanas and things. I've already been hearing about people using surgical scrubs and getting them made um, in various different colors. So uh, uh, that's going to be fun to watch. Abdul, let's get him uh, a pink polka dot one. Yeah, oh, oh, you can bottle my pink polka dot one. Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, you, you know the, the thing is, is uh, if the government's already muting this, then th there's definitely going to then I think we'll be seeing something come out because they won't mention this and then not have any action behind it. So I think there's yeah. something serious behind this, and they're obviously they've probably got plans in place as to where they're going to dish them out or post them to people through their letterboxes or whatnot. I don't know how they'll do it. Uh, but but the, the will I, th I think that we can see this coming, and and I think I, I think you know when you, when you see obviously in China you see people readily wearing them all the time out with the coronavirus. So I think it may be a new a new norm come the future, you know. And uh, but I, I think I'm I'm right right behind that. I think it's, it's a great idea, and they should implement it as quick as they possibly can. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. In fact, I think it was the the chief medical officer in South Korea uh, when they asked him about masks. He said, "Look, everybody." He totally recommended it. He said that everybody should be wearing masks outside. And to be honest with you, um, if if he says that uh, in South yeah. Korea, um, I, that kind of influences me quite a lot. Um, but um, moving on from stories about the face masks, um, I don't know what you think about this one. Um, and it was a story about the Lithuanian capital, and the idea was to turn it into a kind of vast open-air cafe. And the idea was that they were going to give bars and cafes a chance to be economically viable, uh, but actually keep physical distancing. And what they were going to do was give them space outside of the cafes so that people could sit outside and use the space outside. Um, I don't know what you think about that, but I thought, you know, well, there you go. That's one way of trying to get as much business as they can and keep the cities kind of 
public spaces be used for generating business for these cafes and restaurants? Mm. Well, I'm, I'm going I'm to pass it on to Abdul first before I blow my uh, biscuits on it. Yeah. Well, I, I can see where they're coming from because there's an urge for people to meet other people and to socialise and see life as it, as it was normally. Um, I mean, we're, we're all craving a social circle at the moment. You know, what would, we, what would we give to go in one of our friends' house and have a cup of coffee just now? Or just knock on some neighbour's door. Um, I mean, my neighbour two doors along is moving, and we can't even say trio properly, you know, and he's moving his stuff, so we've had to communicate on the phone. Uh, but I can see where they're coming from, but they, I don't know. They must have some form of plans in place if they're going to open a huge square, uh, open up to the public. I mean, I, I think logic tells me that, I don't want to sound like Spock here, but logic tells me that it's a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you to confirm that. And I will then go on to the facts. So the facts are very simple. The scientists from National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, so these are not dummy people. These are very smart and intelligent people. Um, they attempted to uh, mimic the virus, deposit it, and, and certainly look at how it's infecting uh, people and uh, the dangers of it. And what uh, was said is that uh, droplets that are released from someone coughing or sneezing um, remains viable and still in, in, can infect people in aerosols for up to at least three hours. So I'll repeat that again. So you're going to this open place and someone you don't know was there in that you know, place, for example, uh, a table, chairs, etc. that uh, is more, you, you feel safer because it's open. So you're going to a park, you're doing the same thing. You don't know if, if two hours before someone was sneezing, coughing there, you put your hands on stuff, then you accidentally touch your face. Um, and then to take it a little further on the facts, on plastic and stainless steel, the viable virus could be detected after three days that's three days on cardboard oh my god oh my god yeah on cardboard they found that the virus was uh, not vi viable after 24 hours so on cardboard it disappears quicker so when you get stuff through the post you're trusting the post people to not be um sick but we don't know people are asymptomatic unknowingly quite often um and when you're speaking to someone and they're right in front of you. You could be sharing. Um, yeah, it is quite quite scary because, you know, on different types of, you know, they tested, as I said, on plastic and stainless steel, um, and it's there for, for up to three days. Um, there's a half-life to it, and the research team found that it takes about uh, 66 minutes for half the virus particles to lose function. So if they are in an aerosol droplet, that's how long it would take, 66 minutes to lose um, half of their virus particles. So it's still significant. It takes one uh, virus uh, cell to go either through your ear, nose, or throat and mix with your cell, and basically it takes one second for that to happen, for it to then multiply and start uh, in, in your, your own system. So not to be scary, but the point is... Oh, I was going to say, well, on that cheery note... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, any any other stories uh, yeah. that you've come across today? Yeah, well, I, 
Yeah, I've got one. Uh, it's quite a, well. It's, it's a flip side of what we've just been talking about. A little bit better comforting news is that New Zealand have, have managed to absolutely eradicate um, coronavirus. Yeah. So they're they're they've really got it in tune, and uh, and I think after reading the reports and the news, um, looking at the news, apparently the 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 majority and the consensus is that everyone in New Zealand adhered to the advice given and everyone to the man woman and child uh, followed that um, that advice uh, so that they could actually get hold of it and contain it and uh, what do you call it treat the hot spots as it were um, so and this was faith groups uh, this was uh, political side social side uh, business sector, so it's, so it can be done. You know, uh, it doesn't have a, a, a massive population, but it, it must be said that they have contained it and, and and done really well. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be had from what they've done. Well, I think New Zealand's uh, prime minister has just done such a a fantastic uh, job, and she's just somebody that inspires so much confidence. Yeah. You know, I think she's really somebody to be proud of. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going, yes. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, I think um, a lot of the ladies in leadership right now have done a phenomenal job, including Merkel as well. Um, yeah. They have a lower death rate. So, you know, there's something great to be learning from them all. And Jacinda in particular has done a remarkable job. They did a lot of tracing, contact tracing, and actually testing as well, which um, unfortunately we are a little behind is issues with testing kits, etc. So uh, the government's trying to fix that from from what they're um, telling us. And um, but what they're not doing yet is uh, proper tracing, and which they should have done from the beginning. So they, you know, one can really easily cr- cr- uh, be a bit critical of what's happening here um, to control. Uh, the situation faster um, and you, you know yeah uh, uh, yes, can I ask you a question go for it yes. yeah yes. I, was, yes. I was going to say do you have any um, input about this app apparently that um, that that's, that gives you an alert to let you know if I, I don't know if I might be wrong in this but apparently they've developed this in China so you go for a test and you're clear and then you, your your screen gives you a certain colour, like green, that, that you're okay, so you're able to pass certain places in the country. Um, so without that green, um, you know, uh, indicator on your phone on the app, you're not allowed to travel. Yeah, well, well certainly uh, politically, uh, the Europe, America, and a lot of the Western world will not be using a Chinese app. However... Um, There is a coalition in the EU, and I think Britain is part of that, I'm assuming, still. uh, And the point is that they're wanting to do their own app. Um, But recently, look, if you look at the country, and this is what validates using an app for contact tracing, if you look at uh, South Korea, they have been the country that's been very successful in whenever someone comes into the country, they're forced to go into a hotel room and stay there for a period of, I believe it's 14 days. Um, if they move out of there, uh, the authorities will know and they immediately are alerted and the person will get a massive fine. So the app is working there. 
Yeah. Uh, we need a similar app. It's very easy to do, but um, the UK's coronavirus contact app um, will probably use a different model than proposed by Apple and Google uh, because the, the, it raises privacy. Um, uh, you know, it, it's more than, than anything a privacy issue and a trust issue. So the NHS uh, or the government will want to, uh, you know, adhere to uh, the National Cybersecurity Center's um, efforts on this. So, you know, they're waiting for uh, um, more to be, I guess, done and, and the government to give the green light to go ahead. But, as I said, if you were around someone who was tested and then they have it, then you, in theory, would be alerted. Um, distant contacts would be alerted within that group. And so, yeah. great safeguard. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, and so just maybe you know about this, I take it if, if you've had the coronavirus and then you recover from it, can you get it again? Um, um, sorry, go ahead, Nadine. Well, no, no, you go, go ahead, Niaz. Go ahead. No, no, you're the doctor. Well, Please. it's at the moment we really, it, it's, it's, un, it's un, we're unsure about that. Uh, some people have and we hope that it will. And if it's a virus, we sh you should develop immunity to it. But um, there are people that would disagree with that at the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm only going to quote uh, the scientific side. So, again, we need to look at what data is out there. There's what they call uh, coronavirus can reactivate, and that was seen in, in a number of uh, patients um, certainly, uh, the CDC had mentioned that, and um, the suspect information that uh, was uh, that came from China um, as well uh, it, it basically stated that uh, the coronavirus could reactivate um, as you know people okay. could get it again. Okay. So it's a little different. Well, okay. Okay. Well, look, um, we are going to turn to the subject of our program today. And it's coping with coronavirus in Pakistan. So we've got a very dear guest, Zahid Jamil, who I think we're going to beam up to Starship Late Night Live. I think you should be coming on. And Zahid's had a, a very interesting story where, you know, he's gone to Pakistan, uh, gone there for either business or a holiday. And unfortunately, with lockdown, he's ended up getting stuck there. So I'm just see if he's there. Hi, Salam Alaikum, Brother Zaid. Can you hear us? Salam Alaikum. Wa Alaikum Salam. How are you doing? How are you doing, so, I'm, Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm good. Welcome to Late Night Live. How, where are you just now, Zahid? I've got to ask you. Um, I'm not too far from Feslavar. I'm about, uh, oh, I don't know how many kilometers, maybe 40 kilometers, 50 kilometers in a place called Mamukanjan. Okay, okay. So how did you end up? Not how did you end up there, but what was your journey there? How did you, I mean, you were obviously, you were obviously been trying to come back. So what, what happened? Well, what happened was uh, I flew out here on the 12th of, October, uh, 12th of March with my son and my yeah. father-in-law. And uh, just literally five, six days later, obviously, uh, Pakistan went into lockdown. Pakistan goes into <laughs> lockdown. And then yeah. three, four days later, the British government decided to say, we're going into lockdown and anybody who's abroad, come back. So obviously we couldn't yeah. move because the airspace was actually closed here. And um, that's basically the, the end of the, the, the end all of it. So we're, we're kind of stuck here and making do with what we have to do. I mean, right. it could be worse. 
Yeah. And how how's yeah, sorry, Niaz, was that Niaz? No, I think uh, Abdul, did you want to say something? No, no, I was just uh, uh, feeling your uh, your kind of how can I put it exactly? I'm not saying you're anxious, but um, I, I was actually there, um, and I left on the 16th. And every single day, I was really anxious, and I thought, I hope to God they don't shut it down the day before or the day I'm actually leaving. So I literally just got on a plane, and I think the lockdown happened basically just after I left on the 16th of March. Uh, on you going, hey brother, Zad? Uh, um, no, really. At the end of the day, you know, it's you're in the hands of Allah, and you know, you you are where you are for a certain reason. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you, you do get a little bit anxious, you know, uh, from the people that you've left behind. But to be quite honest, where I'm, where I am, um, things seem to be sort of quite sort of normal, and people are still trying to get a, trying to get to do their daily things. You know, it's. Um, yeah, your movement's kind of restricted, but we're kind of slightly rural, so it's not too bad. In the inner cities, you know, it, it's quite difficult. I was speaking to someone who is um, 70 years of age and he's, um, he drives a rickshaw. Um, now, this certain person spent 15 years in the UK and um, somehow ended up back in uh, Pakistan. Thanks to, you know, life teaches different lessons and he's ended up as a rickshaw driver now at the age of 70 with uh, teenage children and he said to me on Wednesday he goes so it was not what day today I'm kind of losing track of the days a couple of days ago he said um, he says I went out to work in Lahore he says I spent a whole day going around looking for passengers he goes I've made 150 rupees he goes in the whole day that's what I mean. that's not even a pound you know it was really heartbreaking to listen to him. but he was still very upbeat you know he wasn't you know he wasn't kind of moping about it, he, you know, he, the circumstances that he's in, he's, he's accepted it and he's, he's trying to do the best that he can do with it. Um, and there's an awful lot of people like that, you know, people who are, are working from a day-to-day basis, people who are working on farms, people who are, who are, who are basically the, the labour force of Pakistan and, you know, they've got to go out and work. They don't understand the complexities that of uh, coronavirus, what coronavirus is doing worldwide. They, they just they look at it as I need to go out and earn my daily wage so I can come back and feed my children, um, get my medicine from my parents or whatever it is that they want to do. And a lot of these families they will work on a, a, a probably a week basis and they really don't have a great deal of savings, so they've probably already kind of splashed that. And a lot of people what they tend to do is when Rosie come, they, they kind of knock back their work and you know and spend a bit more time in their abada because. To be quite honest, you know, during the afternoon, the heat sucks their life out here. Um, and my son, he's with me as well, and he's the same to me the other day. He goes, he goes Dad, the roads are quite easy here. I goes, yes, son, but you're not working. You know, you're actually just lazing around doing nothing all day. You know, you can jump in and out of the air conditioning um, whenever you feel like it. I goes, but look at these people. You know, they've got Rosie and they've got to go out and they've got to work. You know, he'd be probably out there in the sun. The sun's beating down and you know, not a, a shred, a, a morsel of food or, 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 any, or, or any water to drink, but they, they, they get on with it. So, um, that's a good point. You know, there's, there's a lot of people like that. There's people that don't keep it out. So, you know, it's, you get you get all walks of life. Yeah. I, I, uh, is, did you say Mamu Kanjur? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, is that is that a village? Is that? No, it's it's not a village. It's um, uh, no, how you describe it? It's it's probably like a small. It's a developed village. Village, you know, you can you can't you really can't call it a village. You could probably call it a city. It's not even a city. It's not big enough to be a city. It's a bit like mm, how would you describe it? Yeah, then, so, first of all, the main city around here, yeah. right? And then you've got smaller cities like uh, mm-hmm. Samundri. Samundri's a lot larger than, than Mamukanjan. You've got Biridwala, mm-hmm. which is, they kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Mamukanjan kind of falls in that kind of category, you know. It's, yeah. It's because, not, it's not, yeah. Because I was, I was, uh, uh, the city near us is Birmahal. I'm sure you know it. I will get up too far away. I think you're about That's right. And uh, so we we we're, we're, we live in the village, the uh, Ridgewal. Right. But when okay. I, when, I, when I was there, it was like the rumours were going. You know, it was a lot of uh, apprehension and not knowing. So it was the fear of not knowing what was happening, what yeah. this coronavirus was. Uh, mm-hmm. But but apparently, I was speaking to uh, my my family uh, just the other day there. And, and it's actually now like quite strict in the villages now. So they've actually they've got kind of uh, oh, army or police. They're kind of going around making sure nobody's kind of doing anything. Well, and, yeah, and I mean all, all the all the mosques are closed. They've all went and done their rounds. I mean the, the very first day that I was like the very first day that I got here, or I think it was like four or five days after, the police were actually in the banks. They were in the banks ensuring that people were um, sanitising their hands before they even entered the bank. Because obviously, you know, they have to do the thumbprint here for, for bank accounts and things like that. So they, they stopped that as well. So people can't access their accounts because they can't verify who they are because they can't use a thumbprint. Mm. So there's, there's, all sort, there's all sorts of kind of complex issues that are happening. And obviously, nothing happens very quickly here in Pakistan as it is. You know, it's yeah. very bureaucratic. So um, I can understand, but the village is still a lot better to be than... Than like the larger cities, I think the larger cities have got a, a bigger problem uh, because you're a bit more kind of spread out and people don't kind of there's not a great deal of movement between the villages um, as such. So I think that you're, you're probably in a better position being in a village than you would be in like one of the bigger inner cities. By uh, that, tell us, can I ask you what, what's a typical day like for you just now there? Because I don't know how I would pass my day if I was if I was stuck there. I, I don't know what I would do. What's your typical day like? Sleep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, my my typical day. Um, actually, it worked out to be a bit of a blessing in disguise being here a bit longer. You know, um, for my son. My son. He's actually putting uh, a, a video together of his, uh, his grandfather, basically, he's getting documenting various stories and things like how he got to, from Pakistan to the UK and, you know, where his house was and, his, his, you know, his, his family life and, in fact, we ended up going to his, uh, we went to visit somebody about uh, two weeks ago and we're driving by and he says, oh, here's my high school. So I said to um, the driver, I said, listen, what you do is come back. I said, let's go to the school. So we ended up coming back to the school and uh, we managed to get in. We got in, and you know he's, he's shown us the school. The school's going to be a hundred year old next year, and mm. it was built during the British Empire. And you can see the construction is still immaculate. You know, it was just it was just so lovely to go and see. And the school was lovely trees, lovely fruit trees. And, and my son's going to have. He goes, no, no, we've got a fantastic school here. He goes, 
Uh, I think you'll find it wasn't like this when I went to school uh, 80, <laughs> 80 odd years ago, you know. So, mm. um, you know, your, your time passes, you get different ways to kind of entertain yourself. It's not too bad for me. I mean, I still kind of wander around where I am uh, at my uncle's house. He's got a big, massive garden. So you, there's plenty to do. You know, there's agricultural land here as well. You can go, go away and, and walk through the fields if you want to, you know. Um, so your, your movement's not as restrictive. Uh, have you still got social distancing going on? Are you sort of do, do people separate when they're sitting on a munji talking to each other? Uh, what, social what, what's distancing. That like? Is it, does it even? <laughs> you have to you, you have to peel people off yourself here. You know, <laughs> right. that's basically what social distancing is. You know, it's you right. walk it. You kind of walk past, and it's just, you're just like a magnet, and everybody just sticks to you. So, uh, no, there's no real concept <laughs> of social distancing because okay. The, a lot of people don't realise, um, mm. again, the complexity of coronavirus, you know, so they just think it's just like yeah. the flu or, or whatever else have you. Zahid, is yes. there, is there, um, are there any cases nearby you within uh, the 50 kilometres? Or, I, mean? um, I think uh, I remember about two, three weeks ago there was... Um, there was a case that happened about eight or nine kilometres. And what they did was they actually came and shut the whole village down. Oh, um, wow. Who did that? Oh, the, the Pakistani government. The military? That was, yeah, yeah. That was, that, was, that was about three weeks ago, I think. Three weeks wow. ago. Wow. Um, and again, what happened was they had a visitor from abroad that basically uh-huh. brought, that, that brought the infection to, uh, to the village. They basically went in, mm-hmm. shut everything down, tested everybody and quarantined. Uh, took the people away that were actually um, yeah, they came out positive and that was sure. it um, the amount of cases that are happening here locally are actually oh. very low yeah, um, great. now whether that's a pure question of people don't know or whether it's a question of you know mm-hmm. um, it's um, well I've heard um, from uh, an interesting article from the Gar- uh, Telegraph uh, on the 25th of April uh, basically said that uh, Pakistan is using tracking technology, so it's their military uh, spy agency being used and military as a whole to track uh, intelligently um, the mobile phone data, and that's what's helping them um, track, you know, who's who's caught it and who that person has been around. Um, right, right. And this is something they used to use for terrorism, but now they're using it for for this. I think is is brilliant if they they're allowed to do this under their um, democracy. But um, I I like what you've said, which is um, that the military are coming in, you know, very quickly responding, containing it, tracing it, and then getting the army medics um, deployed to have a good positive response in terms of getting people tested and then treated. I'm not too sure if it was the army, but I definitely know that it was quarantined off, whether it was the police that did it or whether it was the army that did it. Although I have seen um, uh, presence, uh, army presence, you know, moving around. So, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, some- I believe it is. Um, from, from the article, that, uh, again, at the Telegraph, it's actually the military who are, who are helping a lot with this. Um, and I think with a country like this, it, it's there's no proper system, but the military is the most efficient system to help in a crisis 
And I think that's what um, a lot of people have been saying, and, and hats off to them for doing a great job because um, it's a smart way of locking down, testing, and tracing, and then, you know, quarantine as well. Um, yeah. Zaid, could I... Oh, sorry. Uh, I was going to say, Zaid, could I ask you, is um, Pakistan a familiar place to you? Is it a place that you've been to quite a lot before, or does it still feel fairly new and different? Uh, no, it actually doesn't feel different at all. You know, it's like, uh, I've been a few times, uh, probably not as much in my childhood, probably in my more, more in my adult life, um, ever since my father passed away, but uh, no, it seems fine, you know what I mean? There's no issue with the language, people are really nice, people, people are friendly. Um, I, no, quite okay here. Uh, Zahid? Yes, it's Asab to here. I was going to say, brother. So, so what's the latest for you? Actually, getting back to the UK. What's 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 the latest situation now? Well, obviously, the the, the, the British government had put on uh, repatriation flights. So, the first wave of repatriation flights finished uh, yesterday. The second wave is, I think, is starting on the thirtieth to the fifth of May. So, um, I had registered, I think, uh, forty hours after. After after I had um, I had the races forty hours after um, they had went live and I didn't get on the first batch, so I've now paid for flights. I'm just waiting on them giving me confirmation exactly when I'll get out of here. So I'm so hoping. Did you say? Um, no, no. The th- that was uh, the thirtieth of the thirtieth of April. Sorry, thirtieth of April to the fifth of May. So I'm hoping to get away in the, uh, on the second. I'm hoping. Zahid, very quickly. Yes. Um, so you're having to pay for uh, getting back. Uh, is the government uh, subsidising it? From no, the no, no, no. It's, no? It's, 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 it's personal. It's personal. Um, so you have to okay. pay for it yourself. Um, okay. Which isn't too... I mean, it's not too bad. It's not as what PIA was doing. PIA actually they went and, uh, ramped up their prices straight away. Um, and they're charging people fortunes. To, to, to come over, you know, where normally a, a return flight would cost you five hundred pound, they had actually doubled it. it was, uh, I know some people have paid over like twelve hundred pound just to leave here, just to get back to the UK, who have already got underlying health problems. I was quite lucky that I could uh, wait it out and you know um, go at a, a more reasonable time. Um, so you know, it's uh, so there are okay. some people, some, some of the companies out there have, have kind of jumped on the bandwagon to make money while they can make money. Okay. I just think it's, so I, I just think I, it's very I, cool. Sorry. Uh-huh. It's, ter- it's terrible to hear that. I, I know that you guys are actually approaching the end of your seri time. So I just want to give, uh, we've got another guest out there in Pakistan, uh, Dr. Tokir Ahmed, who I think is in Lahore, and we're hopefully he'll come on as well and explain to us a little bit more about what's happening on his side of um, the country. So I, I wonder if he can come on just now. Yep, yep. You want me to? Yep. You want me to? Thank you. you know, stay, okay. stay on. Stay on. Uh, but hopefully we'll get him on. Um, right. But uh, but carry on and tell us a bit more about. Uh, you're um, telling us. That so so what airline is it, Zahid? Uh, well, I think um, the, the the UK government the first lot went out with Qatar Airlines. So the UK government had um, basically chartered flights from uh, Qatar 
to take 10, it was 10 flights that went uh, over the course of seven days. And the, the second lot, I believe, will still be Qatar, and um, that is nine flights, uh, and that will go over the course of a week as well. So, it's, uh, the, yes. the price of tickets uh, for Canadian, so Canadian Embassy was trying to get flights for Canadian Pakistanis. Okay. And I heard from uh, people stuck in, you know, there's only two airports that can go out of Lahore and Karachi. Um, uh-huh. And the cost per ticket back to Toronto is $3,000. Uh, is is it as high as that? Cause, so this is above normal prices. Yeah. Is it as high as that for you guys? Um, I'm paying 522 um, still which, good. Which is which is through the British Foreign Office. Uh, people who went in PIA prior to the, the track last week were paying £1,200. Um, wow. And wow. it varied from £950 upwards, depending yeah. on who you spoke to, you know, depending what he had for his lunch or yeah. you know, whoever, you had, whoever you got on the end of the phone, whatever he thought. You know, today was a great price of, you know, two lakh forty or whatever. Um, but like I said, you know, it was, a, it's, it was a money-making machine for them, so yeah, they've just jumped on the bandwagon to make to make a bit more money. Well, but, well, that that's what I was alluding to, uh, Zad, because you know I've got a, uh, my wife's sister's over there, she came uh-huh. from Glasgow as well, and okay. she's bought tickets for herself and her kids, and it's from PIA. Now, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, are they just taking everybody's money and then sticking it in the bank, and then when they open up, so be it, then that's it? No, 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 no. It, it, it depends. If you've got a return ticket um, with PIA, they won't let you use it. They won't let you use the, your, your, your return ticket to come back. You have to pay for another ticket, a special yeah. ticket, to, to come back to the UK. What happened was when the, the, the UK Foreign Office uh, announced the flights, PIA all of a sudden dropped their prices as well. So their prices structure went from what the official ticket price was nine hundred pounds down to five hundred and twenty five. Mm-hmm. And over the course of twenty four hours. But even then when you were phoning up PIA, you're still getting a you know a wide variety of pricing structure. So I don't know where those pricing structures actually coming from. Hmm. You know, that's strange because she she went by Emirates and obviously there's no oh. Emirates. Flights, right? That's right. Uh-huh. And then, and then, our husband over here found uh, managed to get a ticket, but the only one he got was PIA. So it made me wonder how how they can sell a ticket to someone knowing full well that there's actually no flights. No, so there are the PIA. PIA do have flights coming out the country. You know what they are doing is um, I know in some situations that the, the people are booking up flights for right. let's say the the 1st of May, you turn up on the 1st of May and they just tell you, uh, sorry, that flight's not going, it's not going to the third. Mm, so you kind of stuck for another couple of days. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I, know, I know she's been given, she's, she's been given confirmation <laughs> and they've actually said that uh, she'll, she'll get 24 hours notice. So she's actually packed, waiting to go. So whenever that happens, it's so that, that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like a PIA flight. That sounds like a repatriation flight. It might be then, possibly then. Uh, maybe I've picked it up wrong. Oh well, so I hope it all works out for you, brother. I really do. Oh, inshallah, inshallah. You know, you're only you're only where you're only where you are where you're meant to be. So, yeah. well, you've got a very yeah. cool head, and uh, it sounds like you're doing uh, well uh, with family um, in a safe place. 
Um, yeah, I'm safe here, you know, and um, family is wonderful here. That's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah, let's, uh, so have we got the other guy on the line? Do you yeah, know? well, we are doing our best uh, at the moment to get uh, Tokir Ahmed, Dr. Tokir Ahmed on, who is actually telling us we've got 12 minutes left for Seri, and we do have an ad break at 12.55, so we've got 10 minutes. So, uh, it we seem to be having a wee technical issue here. But Abdulaziz, I think you may be having to log uh let's let him on. I think you're me? in charge of the projector. Yeah. Yeah. You're kidding me on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, <laughs> don't, don't hold your breath. Yeah. Hold on. If you I'll can leave. let him on. Right, one second. How did that happen? Well you you're 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 in charge of the the teleportation oh device. Right, here, right, one second. I need to shout my daughter. One second. This, <laughs> right. this is the radio. One second. Stay with us. Okay, well, this is definitely right. live radio. Um, so, <laughs> we've still got you on, Zahid. Yeah, yeah, I'm munching a wave. I'm yeah, you're you guys. A, what, what, what's, a, what's a typical Seri meal there just now? After typical I Seri meal. I, I, I play it safe. I just have some roti, some dai, and some shawarma. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Okay. And have you been keeping well while you've been there? Because it must be quite hot there as well. Apparently, it's not as hot as it's normally as it's um, yeah. about five degrees <laughs> below what it, how it normally is. Um, the weather's actually quite nice at night time. Okay. Apart from the, like, the three, day, three hours during the afternoon where it's quite warm. The weather's fantastic, um, you know. Oh, here we are. Oh, so we've got, so, if it's yeah. okay, we've so got... I just, I just got the ten. Yeah, I got my technical department, my daughter, and uh, I think we've got Dr. Ahmed on now, I think, yeah. Yeah, we have indeed. Oh, that's so cool. Well, how are you? I'm very well, thank in you. the morning here in Lahore. Oh, well, that's great. The, the sun will just be rising pretty soon, eh? Yeah, it will be. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I take it, so how's, how's life for you during the fasting and the coronavirus and whatnot? I think I think the fasting counts are the same world over. Um, um, the coronavirus situation is definitely uh, quite concerning um, in respect that I think, again, I think it's, it's affecting the world over. However, the perception of coronavirus or the severity of it is maybe not as severely understood here, uh, maybe due to the fact that we've got a very high uh, illiteracy rate. However, however, the areas where we are working and where we have done a lot of knowledge base, people are now starting to pick up on that. Um, our biggest challenges here is that we're a third world country. Mm. And... Um, People live here on a day-to-day basis, um, so I think some of the restrictions and things that you know that we can apply elsewhere uh, mm-hmm. are a bit harder to apply. Uh, oh. Take my hat off to him, and I think under such difficult circumstances, Doctor Ahmed, really, really we, we well. lost you. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. If you could just repeat your last sentence, we lost you for a moment. Thank you. Okay. So I said that under the... Uh, hello? Yep, you're back. Please go ahead. Yeah, I'm back on. So I'm just saying that being a third world country, the government here has got massive challenges. 
where the majority of the population do survive on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think under the circumstances have done very, very well in trying to contain it as much as possible. I think the only thing that's skewing the numbers here is the number of tests that are being carried out. Um, I don't think we've got the high number of tests carried out that you know has been carried out elsewhere, but there yeah. is awareness. Um, the government is trying, and I think it's got selective lockdown policies in selective in different areas yeah. based on the needs of the population. Uh, mm. The strictest pop, uh, policies enforced are in your high uh, metropolises like Lahore and Karachi. I mean, Lahore makes up 5% of the country's population. You know, as a population twice the size of Scotland and probably more, probably two and a half times the size of the whole of Scotland, yes. um, which has got the strictest lockdown and it has got the highest coronavirus rate. Yeah. If you go out into the countryside, into the rural areas, the areas, um, the incidences are a lot lower and it's a lot more easier for people to perform social distancing. And people are aware of social distancing. Um, I was involved in a conversation with somebody on the net a few days ago who was criticizing or not criticizing, but said, look, what do you make of people going to mosques in Pakistan? And my rationale to that was, well, look, if you're standing in a supermarket queue six feet apart and you're waiting half an hour to get in or you're waiting at checkout for 20 minutes, well, if you're six feet apart in a mosque for five minutes or 10 minutes, what's the difference? Yeah, that's that's an interesting um, uh, idea, and I I think it, it brings a lot of contention and tension uh, um, certainly to the West. And um, I, I noticed from some pictures uh, of Pakistan that uh, you know this uh, was going on in the mosques and seemingly without any issues. Um, I, I think their worry is it comes back to if I just use science um, that the aerosol of the virus can be in the air. It can be on the floor and it stays certainly in the air for up to a three hour period. Again, I'm quoting the scientists uh, from a couple of articles. One sure. was Reuters. Sure. Um, and so the fear is from that, um, the fact that, you know, the half-life is quite a long time, and, and on metals, it, it can stay up to three days. Sure. Uh, so it there's that danger that it, it could be passed on, and that's why they're very strongly against it here. Yeah. Uh, but but could you kindly tell me how that's different from standing in the supermarket queue and how different it is standing in a supermarket waiting area or how different it is standing in a bank queue? Sure. I, I like your devil's advocate uh, notion, so I'll try to counteract that and say, okay. Um, I agree with all the, all, the, all, all the things that you're saying. You know, that, that's absolutely correry. Yeah. I just want to know if, you know, sure. why it would be different in one scenario than the other. So let, let, let me just say this. We're supposed to here go for food essentials rarely. We're supposed to go for essentials in essence, not for chocolate bars and da-da-da, you know. It's actually yeah, yeah. just essentials. So quick in, quick out, um, and yep, valid, minimize valid, it as much point. as possible. Whilst uh-huh. I do see people not doing it, Sainsbury's here, not plugging any stores, and there's so many others, so little, et cetera, da, da, da. You go in, uh, and it's paced in, um, you, you know, so, so they're, they're distancing. It's a one-way traffic system through stores, which I think is, is intelligent ways of doing it. You don't go back on yourself. Um, yep. 
and and so so they're they're also cleaning the trolleys. They're cleaning what anything that you're touching. And at a place of prayer, they need to guarantee this as well, where you're sitting and stand, you, you know that it needs to be constantly uh, cleaned. So if I can give you a bit of information, I've just brought this up because this was a topical thing, and I, you know, and I hear you and I agree with what you're saying. Um, what they do. I think, brother. I think, Doctor Ahmed. In the mosque, you have to have wuzu from the home. Yeah. I'm going to just interrupt you guys there because um, we are, we do have our uh, sponsors that need to get the ad breaks in. So we are going to actually go for an ad break at 11.55. But what you're saying, Tokir, is absolutely fantastic. And I do get a hint that maybe there's a little bit of cultural snobbery going on with people over here, maybe commenting about things that are happening in Pakistan. But So I'd like to if you could, if you could possibly stay on uh, and and join us after the ad break, that would be fantastic. I will do. I will do. I'll t- yeah. I know that it's Sadi time there at the moment, and I know you guys must be. Well, you go get your ad break out of the way quickly, quickly. <laughs> well, well, we've still got two minutes, so carry on, carry on just now. Okay. One of the things I was going to say was just quickly that, firstly, that all the mosque where I've been involved, the mosque is disinfected. You know, like on a daily basis, we have. Um, people are, have to do the vuzu at home, cannot do vuzu inside the mosque. They've got to pray at the predetermined spots. The mosques are being sanitized. People, uh, there is police outside every mosque and monitors that monitor the people going in and out to make sure that the guidelines are being adhered to. If they're not performing it, they're shutting the mosque down. So from a government's perspective, they're trying hard because the worst thing you want to do. The other thing also coming on to that is when it comes to shopping, people do not have money here to go shopping once a week or once a month. They work, they earn their money, they go at the end of the day, they take that money and they buy the food for the day. So, you know, we're not in a fortunate enough position here, the majority of people, to be able to go for essentials. The essentials happen on a daily basis. So the whole, you know, it's, it's, it's different challenges here altogether. And one of the biggest challenges, you know, in a country like this is where religion is very, very, you know, deep in people's hearts. The last thing you want to do is to cause religious unrest and have thousands turn up on the streets. Well, fantastic hearing about um, what about about your views on what's going on out there. But can you tell me a bit, a wee bit about yourself, your background? I mean, you're obviously you've got a Glasgow twang there. So what are you doing? <laughs> what, what are you doing? out there in the motherland what's going on what's going on I, I listen i came back here about seven years ago we came back just for a couple of years just for yeah. a cultural experience yeah but, uh, we loved it here so much uh, but we ended up staying um wow. i used to commute i used to do the oil rig thing two weeks on and two weeks off i'd work for yeah. two weeks uh, in the uk then come back for two weeks but we loved it we stayed and now i'm most of my time over here set up my practices here in um Lahore and Faisalabad and Karachi and whatever it is. Just getting so on with it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided, has decided to take me. I've ended up where my rizik is. MashaAllah. So you're, you're, you're a doctor, but obviously are you, are you working in a particular field or area of medicine or what is it you're doing? Yep, if you don't mind I'm me doing asking. Yeah, I'm doing aesthetic medicine. So basically it's surgical and non-surgical. Um, I don't do the surgical. I've got a team of surgeons with me, but I do all the non-surgical Skin, yes. hair, face, body, Botox, fillers, acne, pigmentation, hair loss. 
So All you're responsible for those women on those dramas? <laughs> uh, about one third of them, definitely, yes. <laughs> okay. So, so I, take, I take it you're, you're, it's, their, it's your botched jobs that they're fixing? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You've got, I, I'm glad it's late night and you're getting your words all mixed up in the wrong way out. MashaAllah, <laughs> 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 fantastic. So this, I mean, it, it's, this is it's where I find... I was going to say, it's not often, first of all, that somebody from here can actually go over to Pakistan and actually actually make a life for himself. Because, I mean, that's the that's the dream for a lot of people. Uh, but, mashallah, hats off to you for actually doing that. So I guess what I'm going to say is Thank you. You, you, you've been out there and you've been out there for seven years. You've got caught up now in this whole coronavirus uh, mm-hmm. situation. Um, obviously, Brother Zahid's gone out there for a short period of time and hasn't been able to get back, but you were already there. What, 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 how did it sort of, how did everything appear to you as, as things kind of uh, picked up speed there? I think things with regards to picking up speed, as in, they've not really picked up speed until this week. I think realistically we are now, at, you know, that sort of week six, week seven where the pandemic starts to just exponentially rise. And yeah. our biggest concern now is that in the next two weeks, when the hospitals start to get flooded is when they're going to realize what's hit them. And I think in the last couple of days, they've realized that. And in Lahore, the crackdown has been phenomenal. Just on Sunday there, and people over here that weren't quite aware, and they started to go out into the roads and things. And you know, when the, when the, when after the first two hours, when they saw the traffic on the roads, the police were out in their droves, put all the stop talks on, and they said, look, what are you doing out on the road? Get back home, get back home. They did about 2,050 arrests that day and said, look, if you're not moving off to the station, off home or off to the station. So they did a pretty damn good job of bringing it under control. And I think they are worried that the next two weeks, we're at that stage. We're probably just a couple of weeks, even like behind what was happening in the UK with regards to the phases of the pandemic. So uh, I think the next two weeks are going to be very crucial. I mean, look, I've often said, look, if you, you know, if you put a seatbelt law here in Pakistan, you do that, and within about you know three or four weeks, everybody's wearing their seatbelt. In Pakistan, is it as easy as that? I mean, I can't imagine if the police were out, they weren't just saying, "Excuse me, do you mind just uh, parking your car at the side of the road and going back home?" It, it's it must no, look no, different. No, 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 they were no, 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 no. It's not yep. at all. Honestly, these are all misconceived stereotypes. Uh, the yep. police here, under the circumstances, have been very well behaved very polite, very, you know, they're trying, remember they've got the masses to control the, one a comment I made earlier on is you cannot afford to rile the masses over here. They just congregate yeah. out in the streets and the worst thing you want is a, a, an amalgamation of people. I've got a couple of very, very senior police officers as close friends. You know, one of the guys is second from the top in the whole up in job and he said our biggest challenge is, you know, just trying to deal with people's aggressive behavior towards us but we're under strict instructions that we've not to antagonize anybody so that it doesn't cost 20 people to come out of the car. We pick up the phone and cause another 20 to turn up to the site and the whole thing escalates. So the authorities here, honestly, I have been so surprised how they have managed and handled the whole thing. I would have probably expected, I think if I would, because I'm here and I see it, um, if I wasn't seeing it myself, I probably would have had different views. But they have, look, they've got a million challenges. We don't have the same manpower that we have in the UK. We don't have the same level of equipment that we have in the UK. 
the population does not have the same level of financial resources that are available in the UK. The population does not have the same education level that you have in the UK. But despite all this, they're managing to keep a, a pretty good lid on things. Our only concern yeah. is the next two weeks. And I think what will yeah. happen is when people start to see there's people are becoming unwell or there's no there's no places in the hospital for them to be treated or there's more bodies coming out of the hospital, that that will probably take home to them because they're very, very scared then. That will probably bring home to them the, the, the gravity of the situation. But yeah. under the circumstances, they've done really well. They've given selective lockdowns. They've been very careful. And wherever the problem is, is at its peak, they've actually closed the areas off. For example, instead of making Lahore one big city, what they've done is they've got areas and where they've found a hotspot, nobody's allowed in or out that hotspot. They've closed yeah. it off. they said, sorry, you're not allowed in there and you're not allowed out of there. So can, can I quickly ask, um, you know, it's quite a large population in uh, Lahore. There's only, yeah. from my understanding, uh, one of the recent articles from 2020 says that there's, in Punjab, there's a whole 1,300 ventilators. Whilst in Lahore, there's government hospitals only have 250, um, and then there's private hospitals who have a, a number. So it's not a, a very large amount. Um, per, no, perhaps it's not. in total, it's not. 475. If if yep. that. Yep. Absolutely. And a massive population of I believe 11 million. Um, yep. Are people going to be flown out to military? hospitals elsewhere or is it hands you, down mean I, 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 you mean outside the country no no I, I, um, to another region because uh, I know there was a military uh, clinical uh, camp set up uh, in a part of Pakistan but um, I'm just wondering if the, if you know just just offhand I no, I'm not party to whether that's going to happen what I do know is that there are massive military hospitals within some of the larger cities like uh, Pindi, Rawal Pindi, like Lahore, they've got the combined military hospitals, um, which are have all been av av uh, made available for public use. Um, but, you know, again, it's a third world country. There's a shortage of resources. There will be people that will require ventilators that won't get them because they're just not available. doesn't sure. matter where they go out to. I think the pressure locally is going to be so much that I don't think anybody's going to have the luxury of being able to say, oh, we have two ventilators here, fly somebody in. I don't think it's ever going to get to that stage. I think yeah. everybody would turn the people away from their own doors if it gets that bad. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it sounds quite quite awful and shocking, to be honest. Um, yeah. Do you know if, because um, one of the things that has been banning around it and it's successful in the West has been use of plasma, because um, in concentrated levels it can be, you know, used quite well, but I don't think it's, it's being uh, harvested enough uh, and probably hasn't uh, yet reached there. I'm not aware of if they've started to use that or not uh, over here, but I know that, I mean, if they had to use plasma, they've very well got the facilities to start doing it. Yeah. And um, uh, we had this, um, what was it, this, um, oh gosh, this thing with the, the platelets and the plasma were getting replaced. Um, this Two years ago, it goes through the top of my head now, but they managed yeah. quite well at that point. I think um, it's doctor, a numbers game. I think it's yeah. a numbers game. We just don't have the same health capacity. Yeah, and that's it. Doc, but however, doc, I think I think the picture here is not all doom and gloom as as much as it is over there because you got to bear in mind 
that 70% of the population live out in the country where social distancing and trying to keep yourself away from one another is a lot easier than it is in the big cities. So you've only got about 20% of your population in the city. 80% of it is pretty well protected from coronavirus. Uh, Dr. Toki, I mean, that's fantastic what you're saying. And actually, it's quite cheery to actually hear what you're saying. Do you think that maybe when we are sitting here in the UK or the US that we have a bit of a, let's say, cultural snobbery and we kind of have this brown sahab mentality where we look down on things that are happening in Pakistan and get and actually project these pretty negative stereotypes? I think, I think Nadine, that was a rhetorical uh, statement, you know, <laughs> um, uh, pretty much so. Um, and that's been my sort of biggest thing with people over there saying is, look, guys, please uh, don't start doing all that. Don't start saying all this because um, that's really what it does come across. Um, I mean, it was interesting. Well what you, yeah. No, it was interesting what you were saying about the mosques. And uh, I, I mean, I was I actually saw that conversation that you had on one of the social media sites with somebody and, you know, it was about opening up the mosques, but you were actually saying, well, look, this is something that's culturally very important for them. And, you know, if they, if people can socially distance in an ASDA, then why not in a mosque uh, that actually really means something to them? In fact, I was, I was talking to somebody else and they said, look, I'm staying away from the mosques, but I have to go and read at least one prayer in the mosque. Otherwise I'm going to go mad. So uh, what do you think about that? Is that a kind of common reaction? That you find it is it is you know and remember during these difficult times it's your spiritual beliefs that's going to keep you going it's going to be your trust in allah what he has predetermined your prayer to him for strength for support for helping you out the wise you know it's a it's a weapon of the believer and you know so to for these people to have access to where they're feeling comfortable where they can pray to get through these difficult times being in a difficult situation is important. Remember, it's not just physical well-being, it's mental well-being of these people as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You've got to take a holistic approach. Yeah, Doctor, can I ask you, um, is there any kind of factions in Pakistan where the authorities are actually a wee bit worried that you now people might come out in, in, in vast numbers and go against what they're saying? Uh, is, is there anyone making those noises just now, do you know? No, of- not at all, not at all. Not at all. And, you know, even in the mosques, all the imams, etc., are saying to people, look, you must distance, you must follow regulations. We have the facility made available to us, but if you do not do it, this will be withdrawn. So please learn to respect this. Every single congregation, every pair, they're emphasizing the need to respect the fact what the government has done. Because if things deteriorate, they have been told that they will shut down. Oh, so I think everybody's grateful and on the one one platform that we're able to do this. Yeah. And do people you know, are concerned, despite the fact that they might not have the same education level of their awareness, they're very well aware of the fact that it is a problem. Oh, yes. I mean, sorry, that was my phone. Yeah, everyone does. I mean, you don't even have to be a, a you know an academic or an intelligent person. It's actually everyone knows. Because I just came from the village in Pakistan near Pier Mahal just about a month uh-huh. ago. And e- uh-huh. even in the villages, people were starting to get their uh, kind of stocking up on lentils and water and things like that because they knew it might come along. And lo and behold, uh-huh. it, it did come along. It did. And, uh-huh. and I'm in, I'm in uh, kind of every second day I'm talking to my in-laws in Pakistan, family and friends and whatnot, and, and they're actually absolutely staying away from the city. Um, the mosques are shut. 
Uh, so it's really just the feeding our animals and back home. Even the, the kids are not going to school. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's in Lahore, I mean, it, it, absolutely, the, the schools are shut till the thirty first, and in Lahore, the mosques are shut. They're not allowing the mosques to open in Lahore. Mm. Mm. It's just too much of a danger. Yeah, they're not allowed them on. They've not allowed, Don't. but in the in, in the countryside, in the rural areas, they have. Yeah. Unfortunately yeah. for us over here. The impact of COVID-19 is going to be a lot different because 80% or 70% of your population do not stay in the city on top of one another where yeah. distancing is minimal. They are far away from one another. They're yeah. protected. They've got, you know, so the chances That's of them great. picking up are a lot less. Yeah. Do, do you know that? Yeah. Doctor, do you know that, that was one of my real concerns because there's this, there is that mentality of, of people that can kind of have this views that oh, whatever's going to happen to me oh Allah will hold you now I'm just going to carry on kind of mentality but you know I take my hat off to the population of Pakistan they've actually got this really tight knit and I'm, I'm, it's really comforting to hear that it makes me feel much better Dr. Yeah. Ahmed can I just interject there something I, that struck me you know he over here in the UK you do see you know the different political parties and you do see them trying to score points off each other over this coronavirus situation. Is that any different in Pakistan? Sorry, can you repeat that? I lost just you there. Ah, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, over here in the UK, you've got the, the Labour Party trying to score points off the Tory party, and the Tory party trying to say that they've done better than any other party would have done. So there, there is a bit of political point scoring with the parties. Is, have you found that that's, that situation is going on in Pakistan as well? Or have they sort See, of come in the, no, 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 no. In, in the very beginning, I think when Mia Shabazz Sharif returned um, to Pakistan, this was during the start of the epidemic, he made one or two statements. But very quickly, I think in Parliament, he was told, look, we are going through a national crisis. This is not the time for um, uh, uh, inter-party political bickering. We need to be united as one. And from that day onwards, not a statement has come out from any political party which would jeopardize the current situation. Not one single uh, uh, point hacking trick has been done. Mm. That's, that's really that's heartening to hear that. Um, uh, and and so, how, is there any kind of information coming out as to how long the, the lockdown lockdown is for? How long is it officially yeah. for? How have they said? And well, the lockdown date was supposed to be the thirtieth of April. However, they extended it to the ninth of May, but. They have said now that it will probably go on to the 31st of May. I mean, all, 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 any of my contacts, the senior police officers, some of the senior officials um, uh, that I've been in touch with and I've got friends that are here have said, look, Doc, it's going to happen to the 31st. But what they're doing is just, they don't want to say to everybody it's going to be to the 31st. It will take the morale down. So what they do is extend it by 10 days at a time, 10 days at a time, Again, yeah. dealing with the psychological issues that it has with the population. Okay, it's mm -hmm. another 10 days. Hopefully it'll go, okay, it's another 10 days. But we know that it's going to stay on till the 31st. They've got no choice but to do that. Yeah. Uh, Nadim, are they having briefings as well, like they're having in kind of countries in Europe? Do they have daily briefings or weekly briefings to let the public know what's happening? Every uh, single day, we, every single day, the updated figures are released. Government has launched a website. You go onto it, it tells you the number of new cases, the number of tests that are being done, the number of deaths in all the different areas and all the different cities. So the information is updated daily on the news, on their website, on the government websites, and you can check. And one of the things is that in Punjab, 
uh, which is concerning everybody and the government. The number of tests is a lot lower than it is in Sindh, although the numbers that they're showing um, of reported cases are still higher in Punjab. So I think this is why they're doing a selective policy for Lahore to just shut it down completely now. But the other issue that you've got here is that people said that in the beginning when they did the first lockdown, after about two weeks, three weeks, people were coming on the streets and they were stopping cars and they were begging. And if they weren't getting money, they were trying to open the door forcefully. You know, and not because they were bad people, it's because they were desperate people. And it was only then that people started pouring out money and food and ration distributions. And you know, people were starting to feed people. They realized, hold on, we have a problem here. So the sense of the haves trying to cater for the have-nots it's one of the countries in the world that has the highest amount of charity given per population of head per capita of their income. Yeah. Pakistan is one of the highest in the world where people give charity. And that, one of the things I've noticed, is one of the things that's happened immensely. The government is distributing charity, but more than that, it's done on an individual basis. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Ahmed, sorry, I know that you're involved with a, a personal project as well where you're helping to distribute charity and food and rations to people in the near the Thar Desert, is that right? That's right, yeah. People in the desert areas. They're about 80 miles from my house where that is. And these families, you know, I mean, that's it. The crop's not in. Um, everything is shut down. And just, just, they, just, they go out and work on a daily basis, and that's been all put to stop. You know, they can't go out to the cities close by because they've restricted people coming in and out and myself and, you know, other sort of people there. And, you know, we're, we're sending stuff through. We're trying to get them through month by month. And, you know, what, Nadim, if people want to contribute, even if it's £20, £30, £40, £30 will feed a family for a whole month. That's nothing compared to what we spend in the UK. But that will yeah. feed a family of six for a, a full month in Pakistan. Inshallah, uh, if anybody wants to do that, although it's not one of the charities necessarily, the Radio Ramadan is supporting uh, specifically, but I'm sure we can get your address after the show, and if anybody wants to, we'll pass that on. Um, I'm just also aware that uh, the other guest, Zahid Jamil, is also still here. Uh, I don't know if you want to add in anything or if you're still there. Uh, please do if you if you want to. Um, uh, I know your experiences. <laughs> well, not really. I'm just sitting here listening away to, 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 to Dr. there uh, and, and all the points that he's actually raised are very, very valid. You know, it's, like I said earlier on, you know, a lot of people here, they live on a day-to-day -day basis. Some live on a week-to-week -week basis. They don't really have any kind of life savings that they can fall back on. So they don't have a safety net like we have in the, in the UK. You know, there's nobody's going to pick you up and, you know, dust you off and, 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 and put money in your pocket. And a lot of it does, is down to individual um, <clears throat> people, individual people around it around the country um, doing their own things, you know, you, I know from, from um, my dad's village there was, there was a couple of families that went and uh, gave rations out to uh, about a number of houses, so there's, people are doing various things uh, around the country in their own capacity, whatever they can do, they're doing. Um, and that's really basically the, gov the, gov the, the other thing I have to what, what Imran Khan's government done is they set up an ISAS program where they've identified people, you know, the most vulnerable and they are giving them money you can turn up to the centres collect money to buy a month's rations 
you know, um, which I think was very, very good because they prioritized, they stopped, you know, they said, look, what our most important thing is we need to feed our population and they put things on hold until these people are fed and they're taken through this thing. So the government has taken it seriously. But again, like I said, you know, it's still a stretch on resources. There are people that do miss the safety net, which are covered by everybody else. So the government has done a lot in different different aspects, you know, reaching out to all these people. Yeah, Dr. M, uh, it sounds like they certainly are. Sorry, go ahead. I said dealing with a population of 220 million is not easy. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I From the sound of it, I mean, you know, Zahid also confirmed as well, like what it's like in the countryside. It mirrors uh, your own uh, knowledge of the situation. And I, it sounds like it's really almost more advanced than perhaps us. Like you, you know, Pakistan has jumped on it very quickly before it spread too fast, done what is uh, prescribed, which is contact tracing and immediately, you know, home down on it. Um, I also answered my question from before, which I gave to you. Um, so I found that out. I just um, found out that, in fact, Pakistan has scientists that are waiting approval to start clinical trials. Um, and it's from, a, I don't know if you've heard, Dow University of Medical Sciences? Yes, yes, I read that. I read that. So they're working on an intravenous immunoglobulin. With Absolutely. Absolutely obtained from blood of patients recovered and yep. they're actually finding it's uh, it's, it's going to be working very well so that's that's fantastic news and they feel that it's uh, an important breakthrough um, in the war against covid uh, and they'll be going to clinical human tests next i believe uh, you know uh, uh, necessity is the mother of what is it all uh, um, I, I've forgotten that phrase or whatever it is I think we're in a, such such a tight knit space as we are we, we've got to do uh, everything possible um, and another positive thing that came out of it was the WHO actually commended Pakistan for its efforts in you know yeah. trying to contain uh, coronavirus so we did get a couple of you know good validations from the WHO so um, from a reassuring perspective, it's pretty reassuring. Necessity is definitely the mother of invention, absolutely. And in fact, there's been, uh, I don't know if you caught, there was another Pakistani doctor that was really commended uh, in America who'd actually found a way to use the ventilators and split them up so you could actually, That's one right. ventilator could, right. could work on eight patients. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if that's being used in Pakistan, but you know, oh, again, been, oh, there's, picture, there's, picture, there's pictures of that floating around everywhere in every WhatsApp group. <laughs> Mashallah, fantastic. Can I ask, doctor, um, is there a risk of um, you know backflow? So getting sick from another patient if you're sharing the same oxygen? Do you know what? I haven't actually. I think Nadine might be able to answer that one better. I actually haven't seen the equipment per se. Um, I don't know if they're sharing this. Are they sharing the same oxygen, or is it? Um, um, I, I don't. I I don't think so. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. Now you're now you're. Uh, it's, that's actually more of an intensive care kind yeah, of uh -huh. uh, uh, sort of uh, piece of equipment. So I don't actually know. So uh, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that with any surety. I wouldn't have thought so. 
and I don't think they would have allowed it if there was that much, if no. there was an issue with it as well. I don't think, I think they would, have, they would have been a big, so I think there must be some safety system in there somehow, whether they're using the one pump, but having different, using, you know, having different supplies coming into it, and maybe having one background pump pushing it through different machines. Um, doc, doctor, we, we've just had a question like, in you know, from one of the, yeah. So I was just going to say we've just had a uh-huh. question in from one of the from one of the listeners, and they're asking, do you think there'll be a vaccine soon? Um, now I don't know if that's. I, I think in Pakistan, like you said, there 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 are some efforts to sort of work on that as well. In fact, people are working on uh, uh, there's a race on to produce a vaccine all over the world. But is there anything specifically in Pakistan that you've heard of? Just a comment that was made earlier about um, the. Immunoglobulin, uh, antibodies, etc., that were uh, that were being isolated. Yep, and there was actually a tweet about from the WHO about that as well. So I think that's the closest that we're getting up here. Okay. Okay. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, is that if we look globally at all the solutions, um, even Gates said that there won't be one in the near future. It's going to take time for a vaccination. So uh, it could be a year or more. Um, realistically, we should be really looking at plasma as a treatment, um, a bit like what Pakistan's trying to be innovative about. And I like to, I like hearing this. This is like very positive, progressive news, um, uh, and and it will help uh, tremendously. It's the cheapest way to do it as well. Um, you yep. only need a very little amount. And it's a need of the hour. I think at the moment it's a need of the hour is what we can do to get us through this thing. Vaccines, etc., will be great for coming forward, but we've got to deal with the current situation just now and what works, you know. Um, and then, you know, it, it's that thing, you know, what you're concerned about, a side effect from the treatment, uh, death from not having a ventilator or death from hunger. You know, you've got to make a choice, a horrible, horrible choice. So, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, we're, we're at 12.27, so we're going to be wrapping up by half past 12. Um, so uh, is there anything anybody would like to say kind of, you know, b- before we, before we wrap up, I've got to say, um, I, I, Dr. Ahmed, I, I really like the fact that what you've said has been very positive and it's a very different image from the one that we normally expect. Uh, and with brother Zahid, you know, it, it's, it, you know, it's been, uh, I, I'm almost envious and I'd kind of like to go there and myself and just kind of chill out a bit because it sounds like a great uh, place for some R&R. Uh-huh. Oh, it's it's a wonderful place to be. Uh-huh. Listen, I, I shall tell you something. I, I live in the country and I work in the city. I travel an hour, an hour and a half um, every day into my workplace and then come back. And then I travel into Lahore for two days a week. I'll stay one night and then go out. But I live in the country and I work, and I love the whole country life, you know. I'm all set up, and it, it is a great place to be. Pakistan is what you make of it. Yeah. Yep. You've got to make it for yourself. You know, it's like coming to the UK. You know, if every person, well, you know, I'm not being snobby, but if every person that came to the UK went to, say, Easter House or Drum Chapel in Glasgow and was using that to reflect the whole of, uh, the, whole of the UK and never went to, you know, never went to Newton Mearns, never went to um, Mayfair, never went to Park Lane, never went to Knightsbridge, you know, it gives a skewed opinion. You've got to remember yeah. a lot of people that have gone to the UK from Pakistan have come from rural backgrounds. 
they've not come. You know, people from the big cities, etc., have not left here to go over there. So it was all a case of economic migration, and there's a whole big science and a big study behind that as well. So Pakistan is what you make of it. And it's a beautiful country. You've got the uh, snow-capped Himalayan mountains in the north, and you've got golden sanding beaches in Gwadar in the south. So it's up to you. Mashallah. Well, mashallah. Well, look, on, on that uh, sort of note, I think I just want to thank our guests again, uh, Brother Zaid Jamil, uh, Dr. Takir Ahmed, uh, my co-host Abdul Aziz and Brother Niaz, and uh, myself, uh, Nadeem Bharti, I uh, want to thank you on behalf of uh, the Late Night Live team. Um, I think we've got learned something more about what's going on in Pakistan. And inshallah, we'll hopefully learn a lot more. Um, until tomorrow at this time, 11 o'clock, um, inshallah, we'll see you again there uh, back on Starship Late Night Live. Late Night Live. Hot topics discussed daily from 11 p.m. onwards. Get involved by calling 0141-375-3434 or search Radio Ramadan 365.